Hey, Woodlands Church, we are so glad that you are here to worship with us today. Now, we want to invite you right now, wherever you are, to join us in singing.
amazing thing it is to declare that today, God. That you have conquered sin, that you have conquered death, that you've risen over the grave, God. And that one day we will join with our brothers and sisters of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and be before your throne declaring your greatness and singing your praises. God, we thank you for moments like this where we get glimpses of eternity coming before your throne to make much of you. You are worthy of all of our praise. We give you all the glory. So we love you. We worship you. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Hey, Woodlands, welcome to our weekend worship service as we worship together while we are apart. Uh, Before we dive into the word together uh, today, I wanted to just uh, remind you that uh, at the end of the service today, I'm going to be giving a pretty important announcement. So stick around through the final worship song and I want to share something important with you. But right now, let's pray and then we're going to look into the word together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true it's powerful it's given to us to guide and to shape our lives and to lead us into the abundant life that Jesus you came to achieve for us and so we pray that you would speak to us from your word give us willing hearts to not just hear but to put into practice to obey what you show us we pray in your name amen so we are in a series here at Woodlands called Encouragement When Life Gets Hard, which is a study through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, when life gets hard, what, what should we be encouraged to do? Well, there's a lot of things, of course. That's a, a big question and there's lots of answers to it. But one of the interesting things that the book of 1 Peter does, I think, is it encourages us, even in the midst of very difficult circumstances, to kind of go back to basics to remember and to think about and to shore up in our lives that which is really central, really important. And so today we've come to something that's really central, really too important, and really important to a lot of our lives, and that's our marriages. So in the midst of addressing a group of Christians who are going through persecution, suffering, it's interesting that Peter comes back to their marriages and talks to them about that, like, Kind of like saying, you know, in the midst of all that's going on around you, don't lose sight of this most central relationship. As I was preparing for this study, it struck me that uh, several books of the New Testament that are written for different purposes all address this subject of marriage. Ephesians, which talks about the centrality of the church, comes back to marriage. Colossians, which addresses doctrinal error about, about Christ, has a section on marriage. Hebrews, which talks about the difference between the new new covenant and the old covenant, has a teaching on marriage. First Corinthians, a church that had all kinds of errors going on, lots of correct. Paul the apostle made sure he talked about marriage. It's really central to our lives, and so we need to uh, think about it. What we're going to look at this morning, what we're going to draw out of 1 Peter is that the text in 1 Peter chapter 3 reminds us that to have a strong, vibrant, healthy marriage, we need to make five marriage investments. So we're going to look at marriage investments. Let me share a couple stories with you to kind of illustrate why investing in our marriage through all of life, maybe especially when life gets hard, is so vitally important. First story is a story about a 
cargo ship uh, in the Pacific Ocean. So there was, years ago, there was this cargo ship, you know, that carries these big containers, and uh, it was coming from Asia to the United States, and I don't know how far offshore, maybe a couple hundred miles, I'm not sure, but it got caught in a violent storm, and about 20 of those big cargo things got washed over to the side of the ship and lost at sea. And uh, several of them, of those cargo containers, interestingly enough, carried Nike shoes. The ship made it to shore fine, but those containers were lost at sea. Well, about six months after that happened, on the southern shore, they were, the ship was probably heading into the port at Seattle area, and on the southern shore of Oregon, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of Nike shoes started washing up, thousands of them. What was curious about this was that as they looked at the shoes and gathered them together, almost all of them were left-footed shoes. Well, that didn't make a lot of sense because they didn't ship just left-footed shoes, they shipped pairs of shoes. But it was only the left-footed shoes predominantly, way predominantly, they were washing up on the shore and they thought that was rather curious. And so scientists got involved and they thought, well, what, what is going on here? And they started thinking about the flow of the currents uh, in, in the Pacific Ocean into the, to the shore there. And they started thinking about the slight curvature of a left-footed shoe. And then they started thinking about, well, what, where might the right-footed shoes, if our theory is correct that it was the slight curvature in the left-footed shoe that took them to Portland, how about the right-footed shoe? Where are they going to show up? And they plotted that they would probably show up if they were understanding the currents right in Alaska. And they did. A few weeks later, the thousands of shoes started washing up there. Why does that, what does that story have to do with marriage? Just a slight difference in what you do in your marriage. Whether you invest or don't invest, what you invest or what, what you don't invest can make a huge difference over the long haul of your life. Just a slight curvature in those shoes made an enormous difference. The second story I want to tell you is this. Uh, years ago, when they were studying divorce and the incidence of it in America, uh, the number that you heard quite often was that there are 50% of people or 50% of marriages that are ending in divorce these days. And uh, then they started adding, they wondered what was the effect on Christians. And they started asking in their surveys, are you a Christian? They had to self-identify as a Christian. And they were getting about the same percentage. And so people started thinking, well, faith doesn't make any difference. And then they even refined the question a little bit and said, asked people to self-identify if what kind of Christian they were. And so one of the categories was, are you a born-again Christian? And they thought, well, maybe that's going to make a difference. The, the born-again Christians have a lesser incidence of divorce, and actually it was no different. And so people started to say, well, there you go. Faith makes no difference. But it's all in the questions that you ask. And so they changed the survey just a little bit. And they said, let's add a question. After you self-identify as a Christian, whatever category you do, they asked the question, do you normally attend a weekly worship service? And in the category of people that checked yes on that box and identified as Christians, now the divorce percentage went from 50 to 10 by that one simple thing. Is there something magical about going to church? No, but it reflects a commitment of your life to Christ and that impacts what happens in your marriage. They added another question which said, do you regularly, most days, read the Bible and pray? 
And when people selected yes on that and yes on weekly church attendance, now the percentage of divorce dropped to 5%. So small investments over time, regularly done, make a huge difference. And so we're going to talk about the investments that are going to make a difference in our marriage over the long haul. That's where we're headed this morning. So uh, open your Bibles again to 1 Peter 3. Let's read the text together. And then we're going to step back and get a, a big picture of what the text says. 1 Peter 3, chapter, uh, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Boy, I know that that text of scripture raises lots of questions and probably puts many of you on edge as you hear some of the phrases in there. So just hang in there. We're going to understand it together and unpack it. I do want to say something to you. This was going to be a one-week sermon on this text. Now it's going to be two weeks. I'm on vacation next week, but the week after that, we're going to come back. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to look this morning because it comes first in the text. We're going to look at wives because he addresses wives first and then in two weeks I'm going to come back and look at husbands but big picture so I'm going to give you uh, two investments that this text seems to say that wives need to make for their marriages to prosper and three investments that husbands need to make and that we'll look at in two weeks for their marriages to prosper but here's the big picture First uh, Peter 3 is very similar to Ephesians 5, to Colossians chapter 3, to the language that is common in the New Testament that recognizes the God-given differences between men and women and how those differences play out in marriage and that there are different roles for men and women in marriage. Equal value, equal worth in the eyes of God, equal dignity, but different roles. And people have wrestled with how do you succinctly describe the different role of a woman and the different role of a man in marriage. And here's how I'm going to, here's some terms I'm going to use. I think the best summary statement that I've come up with for the role of a woman in marriage, according to the biblical text, is that you women are called to be, for your husbands, a supportive partner. I think that's a great summary of the biblical text. You men are called by God to be to your wives a servant leader, or you could say a sacrificial leader. One of those two words sums up the New Testament teaching. 
So we're going to think first about you wives, but a little bit more background on those two titles. So uh, in the New Testament, it basically uses consistently, and it uses the word here for wives, this word submit. And I know that stirs up anxiety and it raises questions, and we're going to dive into them today. But that word is consistently used with the role of the wife toward her husband to submit or to respect or to follow his leadership. But the key word is submit. The key word for the husband, especially in the Ephesians passage, the longest passage about marriage in the New Testament, is the word head, which speaks of his leadership. That by God's design, he is called to be the head or the leader of his home, but he's to exercise that, ser- that leadership with servanthood, with sacrificial love for his bride. And to make that all work in the context of marriage, wives have to make, according to 1 Peter, uh, they have to make two investments on a regular basis, as I'm going to describe it today. And husbands, in two weeks, we're going to look at the three investments that we get to make. So let's dive more deeply into the text. The first uh, investment that a woman needs to make of the two, I'm phrasing like this. It is the investment to respect your husband to respect your husband. Look at the language again in 1 Peter. Keep your finger in the text. This is God's word. We as Christ followers, we build our lives on this. Uh, We don't go by our feelings. We don't go by the culture. We build our lives on what God says. So look closely at the text in verse 1. In the same way, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of your wives. And what is that supposed to look like? As they observe your chaste and respectful, literally you're fearful, not that you fear your husband, that you, but that you honor him, that you respect him, behavior. The word submission is used again down in verse 5. It says, In former times, holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Same word that's carried through Ephesians and Colossians and other places. And then as, as an example, she or Peter uses Sarah and says, Sarah obeyed followed the leadership of her husband Abraham and it says she called him Lord. I remember uh, discovering that in the text one day uh, and I remember being really excited and going to Kathy, my wife, and saying, Kath, I found something that that we need to start doing in marriage. It seems from 1 Peter 3 that you should start calling me Lord Brian. You only make that mistake once in life, guys. I know actually that that never happened. I would have never done that. And the point is not that wives, you're supposed to call your husband's Lord, but in that culture, that was a way to show respect in that culture. It isn't in our culture. It just would be weird to call your husband Lord in our culture. But the principle is the principle of respect. Let's look at the whole text and see how that uh, flows out in the text. So remember, the Bible is a, you know, is a continuous thing. There aren't chapter divisions. And so really the unit of 1 Peter that we are in began at chapter 2, verse 12. And in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So live your lives in a godly way. And remember, then he gives a series of relationships and how we live out our Christian faith he says submit to government be under its authority 
servants, be submissive to, same word, the authority of your masters in that culture. And then he moves to wives and he says, wives, be submissive to, be under the leadership of your husband and be supportive of that. You are a full partner. That was an, an elevation, if you would, of, of the Christian understanding of marriage that men and women are equal in the eyes of God, equal value, equal dignity, equal worth. A lot of, a lot of people in the ancient world didn't think that. But here, when uh, Peter addresses husbands, he says, husbands, remember your wives are co-heirs of the grace of life. So equal dignity, equal value, equal honor in the eyes of God just different roles and the role of the wife is again to be a supportive partner a full partner of course in marriage that's God's design Uh, so that's the big picture of the text Uh, another part of the cultural background of this text is that uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned last week I believe uh, a lot of a lot of women were coming to faith in Christ before men And so in the culture of that day, there were women in the church whose husbands were not in the church, had not yet trusted Christ, and that raised questions for the Christian women. That raised two questions. The first question was, do I stay with this man who is my husband but does not follow my king? Christian women recognized that they now were following Jesus Christ as the Lord and the King of their lives. So do I continue to live with, stay with my husband if he does not follow Christ? And 1 Corinthians uh, 7 answers that question where it's explored more fully with a resounding yes, you stay with your husband even if he's not a believer. Just like a servant stays under the authority of the master even if they're harsh, A Christian wife stays with her non-Christian husband because in 1 Corinthians 7, the argument goes because who knows? God may use you, very likely will use you to help your husband come to faith in Christ. So don't leave. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that there's actually grace upon your marriage just because you, wife, are a Christian even though your husband is not. There's a sense of grace that's on you and your children because you're in that marriage, so stay in it. But then the second question that arose in women's minds was, so if I'm to stay that I might win my husband, how do I win him? And that's what Peter addresses. And he is saying you don't win him by multiplying your words. You win him by multiplying your respect. You win him by being the kind of supportive partner, respectful partner, one who follows his God-given leadership of your home well. And you win him, Peter says, without a word. So I want to talk about uh, supportive partner. I want to talk about respect. I want to talk about this word submission. I want to talk about three elements of it because I know it raises lots of questions in, uh, in your minds, women especially. First thing I want to do is talk about the practice of submission or the practice of respect for Christian wives. What does that look like? The reason I think that this language raises concern in women's life, and it's a very valid and understandable concern, is because they think 
that you might think that what the text is saying is that women, or excuse me, that men have absolute authority over their wives and they make all the decisions and they just issue commands and they're like a king who says, jump and you say, how high? And that's not the biblical picture. The practice of respect in a Christian marriage, because remember, we're going to see next week that a Christian husband, or in two weeks, a Christian husband lives by servant leadership, not by domineering leadership. A Christian husband leads by sacrificial leadership, not by domineering leadership. And it's a partnership. So the practice in a healthy Christian marriage where submission and respect on the part of a wife is being played out looks like this, in my opinion. So I think in a typical marriage, and I'm going to use my own as, uh, as an example, I can tell you that in the, uh, how many years? 40 years, yes, we've been married 40 years now. In the 40 years that Kathy and I have been married, um, I can probably count on one hand the times where we have come to a major decision and been at odds and had to make a decision but couldn't agree. I think in a healthy marriage, decision-making and deciding what to do is a partnership model. And so the way it normally plays out in marriage is that you talk to each other, you listen to each other, you respect each other. You understand 1 Peter 3, 7 says to men, Women, wives are co-heirs of the grace of life, one of my favorite marriage phrases. It means that God works through a wife in marriage just as much as he does a husband. God speaks to a wife in marriage just as, as much as he does to a husband. So husbands ought to listen to their wives. So the typical way this works out is you listen to each other, you respect each other, you talk things through. And if you're not in agreement about some major decision, some major direction in your family, it's not the time for a husband to just say, you know what, you're going to do what I say. We're going to follow my lead. It's a time to get down on your knees a little bit longer, pray a little bit harder, seek a little more counsel, put your nose in the book of Scripture and seek him and try and figure out who, why are we not in agreement here? But if you get to one of those five times in your marriage or ten times in your marriage when you're not in agreement and a major decision has to be made. This is where headship, submission, leadership, respect pay big, big dividends in a marriage. And it should play out like this. The husband as the leader says, you know, honey, or whatever your term of endearment is for your wife, we're facing this decision. I want to hear exactly what you think. Why do you think we should go here and I think we should go, what, what's, tell me what you're feeling, tell me what you're thinking, I want to fully understand it. And you listen, and men, servant leaders listen well, and they understand well, and they reflect back to their wives. This is what I hear you saying. This is the heart behind it. This is why it's important to you or not important to you. And is that correct? Have I heard you well? And when your wife kind of signs off, guys, uh, then it's reversed. And now as a leader of your home, you say, okay, sweetie, now I want to tell you why I think we should go here. And now it's your role, wives, to listen respectfully to your wife's, uh, or to, to your husband's uh, opinions and directions. And should you still be at odds at that point? 
Here's where headship pays big dividends and respectful followership pays big dividends. Then I think it's your role, women, to say to your husbands, thank you for hearing me out. We're obviously still in disagreement. I respect you as the head of my home, you say to your husband, or something to those effects. So you get to make the final decision. You decide what we're going to do. Because ultimately, husband, you are more responsible in many ways for the big picture direction of our family. I like to say that um, in marriage that I think husbands have a bigger job than wives because simply you will answer to God, Christian men, for the direction of your family. You will answer to God for the flavor, the, what you do as a family, where you head, how you live your lives. You're kind of responsible for that. But I say to Christian women, you have a harder job because you have to believe this little truth. You have to believe that God is big enough to lead you perfectly to the place he wants to take you through the imperfect leadership of your husband. Because every husband's leadership is imperfect. And you have to trust that. And so in that scenario, you wives get to say to your husbands, I will let you make that decision and then you should add this very important line. And if it all goes south, and if the wheels come off in the decision you make, you will never hear me say, I told you so. You will continue to respectfully uh, follow his leadership. That's, well, how I think the practice of it plays out. Second thing I want to uh, say to you is, what's the purpose of it? So why did God set up this, you know, why not, why not just equal partners? Well, for two reasons. But before I tell you the two reasons, first of all, maybe this will help one of the reasons make sense. Did you know that people who studied businesses in America have found that the businesses with the, with the absolute highest rate of failure are businesses where there is a exact equal 50-50 partnership between two people. Where there is no one who has final authority, where no one has 50%, but it's absolutely equal. Every decision has to be bargained and negotiated and come to this place. Those businesses have the, by far the highest rate of failures because eventually you're going to get to a point where there will be a disagreement and there's no mechanism in that scenario to resolve that other than a fight. There is a mechanism in God's plan, and that is that he has designated husbands to be the heads of their home, the leaders, the servant leaders, the sacrificial leaders. That's, so it's for order, reason number one. The second reason why he's done it is because it says in Ephesians in particular that marriage is a microcosm for the world to see and to watch and to learn from of what the relationship between Christ and the church is. So in the, in the Ephesians passage, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So in the ideal scenario, if a non-Christian wants to know what's it like to live in relationship to Christ, they should be able to look into a good Christian marriage and say, oh, it's like the husband who is willing to sacrificially lay down his life for his wife and the wife who is willing to respectfully follow and be sacrificially cared for by her husband. Christian marriages should be a picture of Christ in the church. We get to model what it's like for anyone to follow Jesus by the way husbands and wives relate to each other. 
here's what's the purpose of this arrangement that God has said. That's the purpose of it. What's not the purpose of it? The reason that God put these different roles in place is not because, please hear me, is not because women are inferior than men are. That's not what Scripture teaches. Are women have, are, are men uh, smarter than women? No, they're not smarter than women. Are they more, uh, do they have greater leadership gifts just by being a man? No. Are there women who have greater leadership gifts than men do? Absolutely. Are there women who are married to men who have greater leadership gifts than their husband? Yes, I've seen lots of marriages like that. So it's not because of capability, but it's simply by God's design and to mirror the image of the relationship of Christ to his church. The final thing I want to say about respect and respecting your husband, making that investment, wives, is this. I want to talk about the power of respectful language for your husbands. When you speak respect, women, to your husband, you speak his language. A book that really helped shape a lot of Christian marriages in our church and really around the country and the world is this book called Love and Respect. And the premise of the author, based on Ephesians and 1 Peter and other passages, is that the fundamental need of a woman in her heart is for love. And the fundamental need of a man in his heart is to be respected. A woman needs to be loved. A man needs to be respected. Does a woman need to be respected? Of course she does. Does a man need to be loved? Of course he does. But the primary need of each is for a woman to experience unconditional love from her husband. And I think for the first time I ever saw it in print, the author of, the, of this book says, we know a lot and we've talked a lot about this concept of unconditional love. Husbands, love your wives unconditionally. But he says, I think unconditional respect is what men need most. It's their heart language. And for a lot of us in our culture, just that phrase sort of grates. I thought respect was earned. Well, biblically, no, it isn't in a marriage relationship. The Bible doesn't say to men, love your husbands, or excuse me, to men, love your wives if they're worthy of love. It says love your wives as Christ loved the church. The Bible doesn't say to you women, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3. Respect your husbands if they earn it. It simply says respect your husbands because they're your husbands. And wives, if I could coach you a little bit, the language of respect that will touch your husband's heart at the deepest level is when you say things like, I respect you, I admire you, I appreciate you, I'm proud of you. This is the language that goes straight to the heart of a man. And so women make an investment in this practice of respecting the leadership of your husband. The second practice that, uh, or the second investment that you wives need to make, and remember, we're coming back to the guys in two weeks. So you wives, here's the second investment right out of this text. If the first is to respect your husband's, and in particular his leadership. The second is to beautify your heart. To beautify your heart. Look at the text of scripture again. He says in verse three and four, your adornment wives must not be merely external. And by the way, um, in the original language, the word merely is not even there. It's pretty strong. Let not your adornment be external, 
braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Please understand, women, this is not a prohibition against external beauty. It is a prioritization of internal beauty. It's not saying you can't beautify yourself. It's saying let the beautification work focus on your heart. He says what is choice and precious in the sight of God is the heart of a woman, that gentle and quiet spirit. And please understand that as well. The Bible is not saying that only quiet, really gentle personality types of women are godly. That's not what the Bible's saying. There are very talkative, very energetic, strong leader type women who express their opinion with a lot of force. And that's, that's awesome. That's how God designed you. That's who you should be. But in the context of your marriage, you can still learn to respect your husband's leadership. And you can work on the character. This is really addressing what goes on inside of you. It's addressing your heart and it's saying to women, make the focus of your your beautification in life, not be external, but internal. Work on character. Do men need to work on character? Of course they do. But I think there's a a special application to women uh, and the reason that that is uh, brought out in the text, and it's not just here, it's in Proverbs, it's in other places, is this. And it highlights that women face a unique challenge in this. Um, Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a guy, but women just are more beautiful. They have more delicate features, and God has made men to be stimulated by your physical beauty. That's just how he's designed us. I'm not saying that women are not attracted to men's handsomeness. That's not what I'm saying. But just there's this has been in every culture throughout the world a greater emphasis among women on their natural God-given beauty. And because women know that men are, are attracted to powerfully the physical beauty of women, it is a very easy temptation for women to prioritize that over their heart. And the Bible calls you, wives, to work on your hearts. If you want to have a happy life, wives, and have a happy husband and have a happy marriage, what will impact your husband much more than your physical beauty will be your heart, will be your character, will be your godliness, will be the kindness, the graciousness, the love, the compassion, the respect that flows from your heart towards your husband. So the idea is to work on your heart. And in the culture in which we live, you're going to have to fight against the culture to do that because the culture tells you to emphasize the external. Just as an example of that, Fitness Magazine a couple years ago uh, ran a survey of the women readers of, of their magazine and they asked the question, if you could get to your ideal weight in life, And a lot of us think about our weights, both male and female in this culture, but perhaps women even more. If you could get to your ideal weight in life and stay there, what price would you pay for that? What would you give up to achieve that? And here were some of the results. 23% of women said they would gladly spend a week in jail if they could get to their ideal weight and stay there. I understand that. 22% said they would shave their head 
for a time if they could get to there. And I understand that. But the third one I didn't understand, and it speaks of the power of this desire for external beauty. 21% of women in the survey of Fitness Magazine said they would give up 10 years of their lives to achieve their perfect weight and stay there. Because beauty pulls at your heart more strongly than it pulls at the heart of most men in terms of what you want in your life. And so you're going to have to be countercultural and side with God and say it's more important that I pursue the beauty of my heart that will bear greater dividends for my life personally, for my family, and for my marriage. Halle Berry, the woman, the actress that everybody considers a very beautiful woman in an interview in the New York Post said this, beauty question mark let me tell you something about being thought of as a quote beautiful woman it has spared me nothing in life no heartache no trouble love has been difficult beauty is essentially meaningless and it is always transitory I can't believe what people do to themselves to make themselves look beautiful the excess that they go through and when they end the, and they'll to the point where they, they will even end up physically distorted worse they will still have listen to this worse they will still have that hole in their soul that led them to change themselves in the beginning that hole in their soul beauty won't fill that physical beauty won't so women second investment beautify your heart let me end with this this morning uh, there's a book called Marriage Makeover, and uh, the book called Marriage Makeover is written by a guy who deals with couples in crisis and marriage counseling and that sort of thing. And uh, he, he reports that through the years he's observed that if couples who are in crisis in their marriage, if they can answer yes to three questions, then he's going to be able to help them. Here are the three questions Do you believe in God? Yes. If there's a simple foundation of belief in God, that's essential. Second question, are you sincerely willing to do whatever God says in his word about your marriage? Are you willing to follow the pattern of scripture for your marriage? Yes. Third question, will you take the next six months and daily pray for the health and the healing of your marriage? yes he's found that if couples will sincerely answer yes to those three questions and follow through that 90 percent of marriages that come to him will be healed because when we follow god's word god does great things please join me in prayer father thank you for your word uh, to us this morning on marriage and uh, thank you for your good and perfect design everything that you teach us in your word about how to live our lives as husbands and wives is for our good. It may not always agree with the culture around us. It may not agree with our internal desires, but your word is for our good. So I pray for both husband and husbands and wives, but especially wives who've heard and thought about these words addressed to them, that you would give grace to follow and obey. In your name I pray. Let's wrap up our time, Woodlands, by singing together about the goodness of God.
to us. God, in our relationships, in our marriages, God, may we reflect your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you, God, for the ways that even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful. And so may we emulate that with our lives every day. We love you. We worship you. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Hey, Woodlands, again, thanks for joining us for worship. I mentioned to you uh, before the message this morning that to stick around for an announcement. Some of you have heard this announcement already because it actually came in the Thursday video, but in case you didn't watch the Thursday update video, I encourage you to watch it because it gives a fuller explanation of what I wanted to say. But we just wanted to let you know uh, kind of some bittersweet news around here that Pastor John Jordan's our pastor of group life and care ministries, Uh, is feeling led to pursue a career potentially as a hospital chaplain. And so he is uh, effective in August, uh, leaving our staff. Uh, All good reasons, but just another step in his life. So would you continue to pray for uh, Pastor John and his wife Cheryl and their two girls as they make this transition. And I would encourage you to watch the Thursday update video for more information. So again, thanks for being with us. Let me close our service in prayer. God, thank you that we could worship together today. Thank you uh, for the chance to, to lift our hearts in song together, to hear your word together, to seek your face together. God, may we be the kind of people that honor you in all that we do. We ask in your name. Amen. God bless Woodlands.